it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. If you're listening to Investing for Beginners, then you probably care about money and learning how to make a good relationship with your finances. Everyone's Talking Money is hosted by money wellness expert and certified financial planner, Shauna Game. Everyone's Talking Money focuses on relevant, inclusive, and forward-thinking conversations around money. Hear about the money topics you need to know, such as ways to train your brain to reach money goals, why you should ditch your budget and start tracking your cash, and everything you need to know about paying off student loans. Simple steps to start investing as a side hustle, ways to invest in rental real estate, how to overcome money trauma, and so much more. With over 900 episodes, there's a show for any and every money question you have. I'm a big fan of Shauna's as well. She has a relatable style and soothing voice that takes some of the stress surrounding money. Shauna really speaks to the listener and never ends in an episode without actionable tips. I recently listened to the episode, Stop Stressing Over Your Money, a simple budgeting solution, where she talks about her simple, easy one, two, three system for budgeting. It helped me a lot. Are you ready to learn everything about money that no one has taught you? Do yourself a favor and subscribe to Everyone's Talking Money podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks, so welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 135. Tonight, we have a special return guest of his third time with us on the show. That's a record. We have Braden Dennis from Stratosphere Investing. He is our Canadian expert, all-around great guy, and very smart, and a lot of fun to talk to. So, Braden, why don't you tell us a little bit about what's been going on with you since the last time we spoke? Absolutely. Yeah, it's good to good to talk to you guys, and thanks for having me back on the show. Episode 135, that is awesome. Congratulations. And uh, I like you guys enough to miss... My two favorite hockey teams are actually playing each other right now. So oh. uh, you guys should feel pretty good about that. Are, are you allowed like to have that. two? So <laughs> I won't get too I mean, into when the Canadian. When you're Canadian, <laughs> you can have five. Exactly. I live in Toronto, so I have to cheer for the Leafs. But I was born in Calgary, so I'm a Calgary Ooh. Flames fan. So wow. Yeah, that's uh My brain doesn't know what loyalties. <laughs> I know. Well, they don't play each other that often, so I don't have to run into this issue very often. No. Good to know. <laughs> Yeah, Hopefully so it's, we it's, can be somewhat more entertaining than them. <laughs> I think we will. All right, so yeah, no, it's it's really good to be back. Um, 
as I've mentioned before, I, I am an investor. I've been investing since the, the day I turned 18 when I was able to open up my investing account. And yeah, it's been great. I think the first time I came on this show, I was actually still in university and I was telling everyone and their dog to buy Air Canada stock, the the big airline here in Canada. And not to toot my own horn, but uh, I looked back on that episode on the date and the stock is up two and a half times. Wow. That's awesome. Great. That's great. so uh yeah no i'm a a rules-based investor i primarily invest in long-term dividend growth stocks and i'm a strong believer that no matter what's happening in the economy right now whether people are fearing recession or not quality growth companies will continue to do very well with the assumption that you are not entering at outrageous valuations i'm a rules-based rules-based investor which helps me avoid mistakes um, and I think avoiding mistakes is not celebrated enough by investors in general. Everyone talks about, you know, that the 10 bagger that they made or whatever it may be, or but two they and don't bagger. <laughs> exactly two and a half bagger. As I talk about that, we don't talk about, you know, passing up on stocks that had risky balance sheets and we, we took a pass on it and the stock fell 80%, 90% or even became bankrupt. That's not celebrated enough. And I think that's really important. And I stay within my circle of competence. It is strictly impossible to be an expert in every industry, especially if you're like us, you have regular jobs, you know, self-directed investors. And uh, yeah, so Canadians are very, very heavily overweight in energy and banking. And we can talk about this more later, but I simply just do not invest in energy stocks and in particular oil and gas. Um, So you'll have to forgive my American ignorance, yeah, but I guess since the last time we've talked, and maybe you can speak on ever since you started as an investor, how has the Canadian stock market performed and how has it kind of contrasted with what the U.S. stock market has done? Obviously, for us, 2018 was a down year and then 2019 mm-hmm. was just insane. Uh, I don't know if you guys are keeping up or beating us or what the situation is. So... We lost more in 2018 and didn't gain as much in 2019. So, <laughs> but but uh, just plugging my service here, I beat both indexes with just strictly Canadian stocks in a in a tax sheltered account called the TFSA here in Canada uh, that my followers subscribe to. Nice. How long has that been out? That's been out since I've been tracking the portfolio t- since 2016. It's publicly available to be a member in 2019, like the January 1st, 2019. So just a little over a year now, it's been really awesome experience. Yeah. Not, not to completely derail it. I checked it out and I see your emails every month and I like what you're doing with the real money portfolio and the fact that you balance it out with ETFs. And I think it goes to show you're kind of taking the best of both worlds and able to pick stocks, but also have a decent ETF allocation and still able to outperform the market. I think uh, that's something that a lot of people can find value in. Yeah, well, absolutely. It's kind of required that Canadians get international exposure. We can't just be strictly buying Canadian stocks. That'd be foolish based on how much better your index has performed. So getting an ETF with international exposure is a piece of cake for Canadians. So I highly recommend that. I mean, you can still definitely pick stocks in Canada and pick stocks in the US, but super easy to be in a low-cost Vanguard BlackRock fund and get international exposure. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't mean to toot America's horn here. Here I come again. Uh, hopefully, I don't piss Brandon off enough by the end of this. He like never wants to come back. But, hey, man, like, my parents live in Florida half the year, so it's all good. I have to go there all the time. You get lots of crap, I'm sure. Um, you know, have, there's there's a difference in being an uh, investor in the States who's just buying U.S. stocks versus being somebody in a different country who doesn't have a currency that's in the status of a world reserve currency. So as far as investing my own personal portfolio, you know, something to watch as time goes on is that reserve currency status, because, you know, I'm no economist, but I'm sure a lot of the great performance that we've seen, you know, a big reason why the government's able to, keep these insane deficits and really rack up all this debt. A lot of it has to do with the strength of the U S dollar. Um, and so as an investor who kind of has that advantage and then not even considering all the tax advantages that go along with that, uh, a U.S. investor, you know, makes sense to buy U.S. stocks. And so if you're not somebody who's living in the U S to have international exposure and, you know, not to just the U S but to other, emerging markets or, you know, major economies. So, you know, that makes sense too. So Brayden, like when you talk about international exposure, are you lasering in on a certain ETF? Are you trying to go heavier on emerging markets? What's, what's the game plan there? It's pretty much a global play, but heavily concentrated in the U S when I say international, I mean, international for me, like most of that being allocated to, uh, you know, the U S and if, and to, to bring to your point there about being an American and investing in U.S. stocks, absolutely. I don't think if, if I was an American, I'd probably only invest in the U.S. And the reason for that is I make Canadian dollars in my income and have foreign tax implications investing in U.S. companies. If I, didn't, if I wasn't up against that, I don't think I would own a stock that didn't trade outside of a U.S. exchange. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. While we're ripping on Canada, um, you guys, <laughs> you guys were um, like, th- th- there was a huge, um, how do you say? It? Th- there was a huge like hype that that came up and almost as fast as it inflated, it deflated. Um, and so I'm curious if you have thoughts about it, if you've heard a lot about it. But basically, all of the cannabis stocks that came up. Um, all of the excitement that was coming along with that, you know, all these investors had huge dreams and imaginations of how a lot of these different weed stocks would kind of pounce on this hungry market. And um, in recent history, that those a lot of the stocks in um, in that industry have crashed by fifty percent or more, and um, you know, months before that happened, we we saw these stocks rise, and they were they were all over the news. They were you know not maybe breaking records, but they were definitely the high flyers of those few months where they had their ten seconds of fame. So, were you hearing about that as an investor in Canada? Uh, was that a huge topic? What are your thoughts on it now? Enlighten us, please. Absolutely, you had to plug your ears for several months there if if, if you didn't hear it. Um, I'm just going to bring up a little quote I like from Ron Chernow who says, 
during a bull market, you think investing is easy and that you are some sort of financial genius. And that's what's happening with every single person who lived in Canada during the t- during that time. It was a weird time in financial markets where the news was dominated by cannabis and Bitcoin. And if you weren't in cannabis and Bitcoin, well, you're an idiot because they're going up 15% a day. And that's just, you know, that's going to go on forever. So I wrote an article in September of 2018, which is important because that's one month before legalization happened in Canada for cannabis. And I documented that the two biggest players, Canopy Growth Corp and Aurora Cannabis, were trading at 178 and 187 times sales at the time. And then one month later, the, the legalization rolls out in the, pro- the provinces of Ontario and Quebec in particular, which are where a large population of Canadians live, did a horrible job at executing the distribution channels and bringing it to market. And then all of a sudden, these super high flying, like 20 billion in market cap companies that haven't really done anything, um, what are they going to do, right? So since the day of writing that article, in September of 2018, Aurora Cannabis is down more than 80% since then. And I had written about, you know, there's nothing wrong with taking a position in your portfolio that is speculative, but be aware that this is very possible that this happens. And sometimes you're right. Man, you talk about, I mean, I, I see a price of sales of 10 and that makes me feel like you know, a crash is imminent. You're, you're talking about a factor of 10 above that. One little needle can really pop that thing. And it's amazing how far those stocks have fallen. Yeah. I mean, and and people would have said at the time, well, how are you supposed to value them at, at, uh, at, at price of sales or any valuation metric? Because, you know, it hasn't been legalized yet. And I said, well, I don't know. If you come up with a way to value them, let me know. <laughs> and I'm I'm very interested. So, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's it's interesting to me how there's it, it seems there's a different way to value a company depending on what industry you're looking at, and it's it's something that I guess if 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 you work in the industry, you kind of know it's it's more common knowledge. It's it, and it's it's interesting to me to observe that we're gonna count earnings for one industry differently than we would a different industry just because maybe this one industry is retail and this other industry is, um, you know, it could have a similar growth trajectory as far as how we feel the future is going to hold. But, you know, we're, we're still maybe waiting sales more, waiting earnings more. It's, it's, there's logic to it, but at the same time, it's silly. And kind of to your point, I think when you talk about how we don't know how to value these companies, the only thing that pops in my head is a big parallel with a lot of the stocks in the dot-com bubble and how those, you know, people were valuing those based on how many clicks they got to their website. And so as valuations get more and more obscene, you have all of these just, you have to start making up justifications for why somebody would pay such a high price for for a certain stock. So, you know, with that kind of in mind, and you mentioned at the top how you like to really try to reduce losses and, and make that a focus, are there any other things, maybe Canadian or otherwise, that you're kind of turning your nose up to uh, as of the time that we record this, January 2020, 
Um, have there been stocks that you've seen that have really just made you stick your hand up and, and run the other way? Are there industries that way? What, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, there's, there's a couple. Um, and I used to just think, you know, mostly all fang was overvalued and big tech was just crazy. And I've, I've turned that, that corner a little bit, um, since, you know, their earnings really have caught up to them. And to th- I, I used to think Facebook was expensive and now I think it's cheap. So, you know, sometimes they're, you're they're, That's a great example. Their earnings caught up in a major, major way. I mean, major yeah. way. We, uh, so we were all yeah. doubting that they would find profitability. They did it for sure. They they did, and so so props to them. And and there's a lot of reasons for that. It, it, you know, Instagram was huge for them, um, and so you know these things happen, right? And you're able to adapt. And over a couple of years, you go, okay, maybe maybe the stock was actually cheap there at 50 times earnings or whatever it is, and now it's you know at one point it was like 18 times earnings when Zuck was getting grilled, uh, you know, every day for you know, him listening to <laughs> everyone's conversation. Right. <laughs> so th- these kinds of things happen. Uh, right now, I think uh, some companies are at that point again, where I'm like, wow, those valuations are insane. But am I going to talk about them in 10 years and go, oh, maybe they, they were cheap. Um, for instance, here's, here's a good example that one that trades on the NASDAQ, but is a Canadian company, which is Shopify Inc. Uh, they are, you know, a huge e-commerce company that enables small business to sell things online and figure out the logistics for them. And f- I thought the stock was crazy at 150, and now it's at like 600. So, I mean, these things happen, right? So, you 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 stay away in the in the short term, and then you can reassess later when the story starts to make sense. Do you know what the market cap is for? Shopify, like roughly, ooh, uh, maybe eighty billion, probably more actually. Um, a lot. So yeah, I mean, the, I could be totally wrong. I could look it up right now easily. To, but. I mean, to to your point though, as somebody who's being cautious like that, you're going to miss a lot of those kind of opportunities. But if you go back to some of the companies in my portfolio, I have a few tech positions that during the the 90s i i keep talking about the the late 90s right but they were obscene valuations and then after everything crashed then they became more normalized and the companies were even better they had even better profitability and they were cheaper so maybe a, a stock like shopify is one that you just have to wait around for maybe you miss it maybe you don't i think it's something as an investor particularly a beginner you have to get over the fact that i'm going to miss some opportunities, maybe I'll miss a lot of opportunities, but you don't have to feel bad about that. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. 
Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Yeah, that's a great point. And I actually, uh, me and my co-host, that we have a podcast called The Canadian Investor. We have a, a weekly episode. And two episodes ago, we talked about this exact thing where we were talking about awesome businesses that we think are crazy expensive and that if a massive downturn was to happen of maybe more than 25% in the market, that these would all of a sudden be very interesting positions because, you know, the business model is very good. They are producing tons of free cash flow, but right now is very hard to justify, especially if you're a rules-based investor. We were talking before about, you know, you know, we should be glorifying that we don't make mistakes. And this is an exact great example. So, you know, you sit on the sidelines for a bit and if something happens, maybe you have some cash ready to, to make, make it happen. Hey you, what's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. Do you have any other big takeaways um, since you guys have started the podcast when it comes to helping beginners get started, giving them some sort of guideline, rules, tips, anything like that? Yeah, I actually have four beginner tips that I think are really important. Um, and we, we talked about them on, on the podcast, especially for you know dividend investors, which we talk about a lot, is do not chase dividend yield. I see this all the time from new investors. They, they send me a message on my you know business Instagram or even to my email saying, hey, uh, I really, what about this stock, right? And I look at it and it's, it's like a 12% yield energy stock that's paying out 150 times of the earnings to the dividend. Um, sorry, 150%, not 150 times. And I just say, okay, look at the payout ratio and and tell me what that says to you. And, and how much more are they paying out than free cash flow? And tell me if that makes sense. Is that a business that you'd, you'd want to be investing in? And it's easy to try to lock in yield, but 
be very cautious of that. So that's the first one. The second one is take price targets with a grain of salt. I, when I was a beginner investor, I'm like, oh, look, it's at uh, 40 bucks and Wall Street says it's worth 80. Perfect. Or, or the other way around, take these with a grain of salt. I'm telling you, they are very hard to predict. And anyone putting a price target on a stock, that is, that is madness. Another one is 52 week highs and lows. Should these matter? It should never be a reason to enter or exit a stock position. Look at the real business results. If a stock is at an all-time high, chances are they're executing the business plan well. If you exited Apple in 2004 at all-time highs, you know, everyone's saying, oh, it's, you know, it's higher than it's ever been. You'd be out over 15,000% today. So that, that wouldn't feel too good. And then familiarize yourself with the cash flow statement and investigate why finance and Wall Street is so obsessed with free cash flow. That's really good. Let's just go home. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like those. Those a lot. are my top takeaways. <laughs> I, I I like the. Well, I liked all of them. I, I could talk about all of them, but we probably shouldn't. But I like this focus on cash flow statements. I think it's it's arguably harder to understand than an income statement or a balance sheet, but. Um, it also reveals a lot of what's going on. Like uh, my example that I like to think about when when I think about a cash flow statement telling you how a company is surviving, a company like Tesla, you look and it's just like for so long, they just did not turn a profit. But if you looked at the cash flow statement, you would see that they were diluting shares. And so as they dilute shares, that provides them with a lot of cash flow. So they didn't need to go. I mean, they still added debt, but it wasn't as extreme. And and you're wondering how the balance sheet and the and the, and the profit and loss statement, how those things are are. Um, there's a there's an accounting term for it, and I'm not remembering it. And so you can all know. Obviously, I'm not an accountant. Why why they're not. Um, it doesn't matter. True. So w- when the when those things don't line up and and you're thinking in your head why is that the case? Sometimes you can find it in the cash flow statement, and that can be an e- like a, a a big win versus your other type of investors who are just buying based on something they hear. Absolutely, yeah. There's a, there's a lot to uncover in the cash flow statement. Um, you basically start the top of the the statement with net income and then kind of use it to then decipher all the accounting tricks from there. Um, first How did of all, you by learn it? the cash flow statement. Yeah. So I actually really, really familiarized myself with, with cash in terms of accounting in the over the last year. Uh, thanks to a, a Harvard business professor that I that I know that I interviewed on my my like first podcast a couple years ago, named Mahir Desai. He has an awesome book that he sent me an opening copy of or a, a like early readers copy called How Finance Works. The book is out now. It's he's a Harvard business professor. The guy's a genius, and he just talks about why cash is important, why finance is super obsessed with with cash. Um, whether it's overblown or, you know, he takes a very like realistic approach to it. And that book helped me a lot. So if anyone's looking for a way to understand the cash flow statement and how cash flow affects the business, that's a pretty good start. 
Yeah, that's perfect. Dave, can we get that linked up in the show notes? Absolutely. That's great. I'm going to be getting it myself. Yeah, it's great. And there's there's so many like, it's, it's like a textbook, right? Because I think he wrote it for his students. So it's like lots of, it's not a textbook. It's like, a, you know, a regular book. But in the way that there's so many figures and ex- real life examples of statements on companies that you're all familiar with. So there's a real application there. And so, yeah, I mean, I would definitely take his course. Speaking of real life examples, do you have anything that you're looking at now um, in the stock market that really has caught your eye, gets you excited? You really like the valuation, any of those sorts of things? Yeah, for sure. So there's a couple. I actually talked about this today on my podcast. There's, there's a company called Brookfield Asset Management that's based here in Canada that should absolutely be a core holding for all Canadians. They're a global player and they fly under the radar on the U.S. exchanges a lot, um, luckily for for us. So they're consistently growing top line earnings, free cash flow, 15 to 20% over the last 10 years, like consistently, like haven't missed a beat. They own four controlling stake in their four companies that are all individually publicly listed. They kind of reorged a couple years ago and listed those companies as well. So Brookfield Renewable Energy Partners, Brookfield Infrastructure Partners, Brookfield Property Partners, and Brookfield Business Partners. They essentially have fee-bearing capital all over the world in mostly infrastructure. And it is an incredible business. They do really well in emerging markets. Uh, they're essentially value investors. They take, uh, you know, they take certain assets that are struggling. They have an incredible track record of turning them around, spinning them off and uh, turning them into free cash flow machines. So that is definitely one on my radar. Another one I talk about a lot is Eng House Systems, a Canadian company based close to here in Toronto. They are a software as a service acquire around $2 billion in market cap. Uh, they've had quite the growth over the last year. Um, it's expensive. It trades at 27 times enterprise value to EBITDA but they have a crystal clean balance sheet. They have zero debt. I mean, zero. Like you go on their income, on their balance sheet, zero short-term debt, zero long-term debt. And they're an acquirer. So that's pretty, pretty incredible. They've grown the dividend at 20% with a low payout ratio. And, uh, you know, this is one of those things where we were talking about earlier with the segment is super hyped up. It's software as a service. I think from private equity, especially, they can't get enough of software as a service because it's, you know, they think that it, it can grow at no cost and scale, you know, infinitely because it's just a low capital business. However, that's obviously not true. They, there are costs to grow. Um, that being said, it is pretty hard to do poorly with these kinds of names like uh, Open Tech Software and Con- Constellation Software two other big uh, software as a service acquirers around 10 billion and 20 billion in market cap. Those two names. Um, I wrote about entering the position back in June and the stock is up 53% since. So you come back to that and you go, Oh, this is expensive, but like in five years, am I going to think I'm an idiot for thinking it's expensive? So these are the kinds of questions that I battle with all the time. And I think I'm a pretty experienced investor. So don't feel in the investing journey that you're ever, you know, you're facing imposter syndrome. And imposter syndrome is really thinking that 
everyone must know something more and that you don't actually know what you're talking about and there's no way. Uh, that's just not true. There's always going to be certain doubts. You're not going to be right 100% of the time, but you can be right most of the time and do really well. Sounds like you know it's worth taking the shot with. I could talk about another sector that I'm very interested in as well. Yeah, just based on completely recency bias, um, Activision, Activision Blizzard is you know the the large gaming conglomerate. They own you know the, the very famous Call of Duty series and Blizzard with the, the Warcraft series. Um, and this is strictly from recency bias. Aaron Bush is a guy online who writes an awesome blog called Master the Meta, and he discusses the business of gaming. I think he's a big gamer himself and also a very good businessman, so it makes for a very interesting blog. And he's talking about how fast mobile gaming is growing and how the freemium model, like four out of five dollars are going into the freemium model, which is basically in-game purchases. And I don't even understand mobile gaming. I call me, call me old school, but I think gaming on a phone sucks, but (laughs) you look, you look at the numbers of how fast it's growing and how well it's doing in emerging markets. And it's pretty hard to ignore. And they're a company with a ton of intellectual property. They're like Disney where they own all of the characters and all of the games. Like they can then put it into different verticals and see on their other synergies um, another name in the space, Electronic Arts. These these companies are putting basically all their current games into mobile versions. Combined with the fact that a, a console cycle is about to happen, with you know the, the Xbox and the PlayStation and Nintendo about to be on new cycles. This is an, a sector that, at very reasonable valuations, surprisingly, is very interesting to me. So I don't own any positions, but I am looking at it. Man, that that stock Activision Blizzard. I remember looking at it when I first started investing, and for whatever reason, I passed on it. And I think it was in the teens. And I don't know where it trades now, but I know it's doubled at least. And you know, to your point with all of the different growth catalysts they have, um, I'm not an expert by any means, but I know with esports the um these the the competitive gaming where they'll have these tournaments and um popular gamers will make teams and and fight each other in these tournaments um that is growing like crazy and i believe the call of duty series has a league um or is involved with esports in one way or the other but just to give you uh some context on how big the esports uh, kind of how big the esports world is right now. There was, and, and this is like a, a data point that's a year or two old. They had a tournament that was streamed, and they got more streams than the NBA Finals. You know, more streams versus viewership of the NBA Finals and the MLB playoffs and the NHL hockey all combined. Um, I think it was a World Series, like the championship series of that. All it was probably it was probably the League of Legends like okay. gr- big tournament. That's the biggest one, yeah. um, and it's crazy. These like esports players, they're they're damn celebrities. Like there was a there was a tournament last year. Um, one of the games, you know, I'm not even familiar with what it's called, and the winning team split twenty four million. 
<laughs> I'm like, I'm looking at it and it was, it was right around the time of the masters. And I was like, Tiger Woods, the man, he just won 9 million. <laughs> and this, this guy who just <laughs> is really good at video games is, is laughing at the chump change that Tiger Woods just took home. So it's re- it, it is really funny and people love it. And there's all the, all the time where you go, well, I don't get it. But that doesn't matter because the numbers say that people really like this thing. And I guess it's just like anything else, right? If you are very interested in something and someone plays that game, or in this case, video games, better than anyone in the world, then that is very interesting to you and you want to see you know, how good they are at that thing. So just like sports, just like basketball, just like you know, you want to watch the Lakers play because LeBron James is incredible. Whether you're good at basketball or not, it's it's very entertaining to watch. So I guess that's the play here on esports as well. I mean, call me old school, also don't get it, but I don't get why mi- mobile gaming is growing so fast either. So the numbers are there and I'm just interested in it from a, from a macro perspective. Between um, some of the great ideas you've given us uh you know you talk about the numbers being good and you you there there's an assumption when you when you have ideas that these companies will grow and continue to grow for a very long time so without getting too deep into it how would you characterize the way you look at a company's growth story and how do you make a determination that this is something that I really like um, and, and I like it better than this other company over here. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, I won't use gaming because those two names that I mentioned, Activision Blizzard and EA, I don't own positions in them and not not an expert in them. And I also think that there will be a lot of consolidation in that space moving forward. But to answer your question, uh, when comparing between the certain companies, look at the long-term growth story. You don't have to be picking up stocks at IPOs to make insane gains. That's just not true. Um, You can look at the long-term growth story, look at all the financial statements, and then look at the moat that they have, right? Like the reason that Warren Buffett has done incredible on Coca-Cola is because Coca-Cola is an incredible brand no matter where you go in the entire world. We're talking offline before about how I went this massive trip uh, like two summers ago, I was traveling all over the world for four months and everywhere sells Coca-Cola. You will not find anywhere that does not. And it speaks to the power of the brand. It speaks to the power of the distribution channel and it speaks to how valuable, you know, that moat is. I would say that those qualitative factors are big when you're comparing, you know, a long-term growth story. Last question for you and then we'll let you go. Um, back to your country. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Can you give one example of a stock that you've had that did really well for you and you were able to take something qualitative and something in there made you think maybe this could work out and then it ended up um, really working out nicely? Yeah, sure. So I will give an example. Um, of a very, very small bank in Canada. So Canada's banking system is very regulated. There's six big players and there's another little guy named Equitable Group. And they fell 
massively when their one of their competitors had some big fraud thing happening and their stock fell 50% with it even though realistically this was good for them that their closest competitor was not doing so hot in this kind of alternative m- lending market and the stock fell to a pe of 3 while they're growing the dividend at 20% a year growing the top line at 15 earnings 15 and everything was gravy. They were executing on all things, doing really well, clean balance sheet, all of the above. So I entered a position because really, really good, you know, the, the, the Peter Lynch 10 baggers have two things happening. They're growing earnings over a long period of time, executing the business plan well, and they're growing the multiple. When we're talking about multiple, just like regular PE, you have kind of a two-pronged attack there where the market is realizing its value and investors are more bullish on the stock and they're growing the actual business. So when you have both of those engines working at once, that is really powerful. And those are the big winners that you typically, you know, write home about on your portfolio. Yeah, that's great. Um, it, it's good to be able to combine those things and you add the compounding and, you had the dividend in the mix. It's, it's just all, it can all work out really, really nicely, but you do have to be careful. You have to limit losses. Like you said, um, a lot of the other tips you had today were great. And those are all things we should consider as we navigate with our investments and with our portfolios. So obviously you have your new podcast. Please talk, talk to us about that and how people can learn more about you. Absolutely. So just, just before I, you know, plug that stuff, I just want to, couple takeaways everyone should know you know it has never been more easy and cost effective to be an investor in history than right now um and that recession or not moving forward as we go into 11 years of a bull market quality businesses will continue to do very well over the long term and then my last point is if you do not work in finance don't feel like you're missing out on anything the few de- degrees of separation from you in the finance industry will actually probably lead to a better management of your own portfolio. So you can find me on a weekly podcast every Monday called The Canadian Investor. And then as well, uh, a, a link I have here that you can you can remember is getstockmarket.com. And that'll bring you to my website, Stratosphere Investing. So getstockmarket.com. I have a free screener for quality Canadian dividend stocks with you know the different criteria I'm looking for. And then ultimately that feeds my real money newsletter called Stratosphere Premium. That's awesome. Well, hey, thanks for your time. Thanks for coming on and for putting up with us, uh, ripping on you a little bit. Hey, well, I haven't heard Dave. Is, is Dave is Dave alive? Should we be concerned? Oh, I, I, no, I'm definitely alive. <laughs> okay, you're just taking it all in, man. Oh, yeah, <laughs> having no, fun I, judging us. <laughs> no, I, I just, I'm enjoying the conversation. It's, it's, <laughs> it's my job. Perfect. Well, thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. It was our pleasure. Thank you, Braden. We appreciate it. All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up our conversation with Braden tonight. I wanted to thank Braden for taking the time out of his busy schedule to come talk to us tonight. This was fantastic. It was uh, very enlightening and very entertaining. I will put all the links that Braden mentioned to his show, his great podcast, as well as his blog and the books that we mentioned as well in the show notes. 
And if you guys enjoy the show, would you please take a moment and give us a review? We'd love a nice five-star review if you feel that we are worthy of that. That would be fantastic. Help us rise in the rating so we can help more people. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.